Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Green Room today, a podcast presented by The Handshake Agency. Tiana Speed are here with you live from the wardrobe of my brand new apartment. Thanks to lockdown, I am sitting here with clothes sitting around my shoulders, thanks to the traffic noise outside. Um, I know a lot of us are in lockdown, some of us are not who have been in lockdown, but I hope whatever you're getting up to today, you're staying safe and sane. And hopefully, like me, you don't have to wear shoes today. That's a plus, I guess. I'm not a big fan of shoes, so I'm secretly in heaven, and I guess... And I'll take any silver lining at this point, let's not lie. Speaking of lockdown, for last week's Green Room, I was joined by Matt Miner and Adam Morris, aka the duo behind the Aussie lockdown anthem, Get On The Beers, and the brainchilds behind Mashed and Kutcher. Sadly, the two were actually supposed to kick off their epic Mash Machine live show tonight in Brisbane, but this wretched virus has had other plans, as per usual. And while the show may be off the cuts temporarily, the two definitely won't be set back by this little hiccup. And they did actually reveal to me some new music is imminent to release. So at least we'll be able to grab a bit of Mashed and Kutcher joy in our lives in the not so distant future. And he's hoping the boys can bring their live show very, very soon. Not just because I want to hear the North Lane remix live in person, but it'll be a huge time for everyone. And hopefully something positive to look forward to once we all come out of this. Now, while last week was all about live shows trolling and me professing my love of metal to a pair of very talented DJs and instrumentalists, today I am joined by another duo, two absolute icons of the Australian music industry in their own rights, who have spent a large part of their career adjacent to one another. One's a country superstar, the other a rock and roll legend. While Troy Cassadaly and Ian Moss are gearing up for a bunch of special live shows later this year for their Together Alone tour, they swung by the Green Room studio prior to lockdown coming into place, of course, to join me for a chat about sonic meeting points, mutual inspiration and flitting between the electric and acoustic guitar realms. Also, while I've got you, just a brief content warning here too. Some of this episode does briefly touch on some sensitive issues and mental health topics about halfway through and again near the end of the episode. There's additional info in the episode notes, but for anyone who may find this confronting or in any way distressing, assistance and help is available via Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue via 1300 224636. Alrighty, well, Ian Moss and Troy Cassadaly, what an absolute pleasure to have you not only on the green room, but actually in person with me as well. Face to face is much better, Ian, isn't it? I reckon, especially with this wonderful face here of young Tiana. (laughs) (laughs) Not so young, but I will take it. Uh, We are here today obviously having a nice old chat, but there is something extremely exciting that we are also here for to chat about the amazing announcement of you two finally teaming up and touring for the Together Alone tour. Yeah. We've been listening to some music even before we came and said g'day to you that that I reckon really does cross paths really easily. And um, every time Ian and I have sat down and had a play, it just feels really natural. It feels like mm. it's, it's growing from the same tree. So I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> some might say Troy's from a country background, I'm from a rock background, but uh, I think their influences are very varied and go right back into deep American kind of roots music. Growing up as a kid in Alice Springs, there was always um, tons of both styles of music. On, on the on the radio, lots lots of country, Hank Williams and 
and then heaps of Ray Charles and Sam Cooke at the same time. So. Mm, an amazing amalgamation of all the good stuff. And my mum yeah. was the same with her record collection. It was uh, he, she had Ray Charles in amongst the Merle Haggard and all the other things as well. And I'd sit there going, "Why do I like?" And she had a bloke called O.C. Smith as oh, well. Yeah. yeah, and he was he was the 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 meld between the two for me too. Mm. He had this country thing, but then he he would go into this soul blues thing as well, and. I liked it so much. I used to sit there and be absolutely glued to that record player. Um, how could you not be? I'm already wanting to go and raid the record collection after oh, this. Yeah. I may just help myself. But it's an incredible thing. I mean, you both are obviously such icons of the Australian industry. And like you said, you kind of seemingly are from these different worlds. But obviously you've been contemporaries as you've kind of progressed in your careers along the way. But why now with this tour of you two together, how did this finally come to be? Um, I think it's just I, I, to me it felt like it always it was always on the cards. But more than probably a good, a good ten years ago, um, Troy was uh, doing a, a slightly different record from what it might normally do, a bit of soul stuff, a bit of blues, and uh, and invited me to come along and uh, share a vocal on a famous old old track, uh, "Dark End of the Street." Um, I, I, I reckon the seeds were, were sown right then and there for something to happen in the future. And even back then, it was it just felt natural too. I mean, if you are a guitar player and a singer, I think you should be able to sit down with another guitar player and a singer and make some reasonable noise, you know. And and, and every time we've done it this this last week, and even when you're sitting around waiting on a photo shoot to be done, you're actually just feeling each other out. Like and going right. I reckon this is going to work. When we take this to stage, it should feel natural. Mm. And Tiana, it's, it feels nothing but natural to me. And um, it's, it's yeah. been great for me. I mean, I snuck in and saw Cole Chisel as a kid. I was, well, I, was, I wasn't a kid. I was a little bit underage. He's trying to say he's younger than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got that. I got that. Now, I, I did sneak in to see him when I was uh, in my late teens. And um, it was incredible to get in and have a look at a band that was, you know, high to their powers. A young guitar player from Alice Springs that everyone went, ha. Get a load of this guy. That's the sort of thing you need as inspiration when you're coming through the ranks and you first plug in electric guitar. Um, Ian made me want to get on a Stratocaster. I'd never seen a proper Strat before. Um, we, so I was playing a Les Paul copy and I, I looked at Ian playing this Strat. I don't know what it was back then, but um, it, it looked pretty impressive to me. So that was the first thing I wanted to do was trade this thing on something that was going to be more of a single coil sound. And um, and that was it for me. I was sold on that sound, and um, I think we're we're all still looking for the sound, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never stop. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the common drive. It's the common urge. And I love that you kind of shared that story because I have read that you said the second you did see him play for the first time when Mossy was on stage, you were hooked. Was that the very first time you actually caught it in action? Like, had you heard all the recordings beforehand and already consumed it, and then the rest was history? Oh, I'd heard the records. I mean, we all had the records at home, and. Um, you know, to, to listen to the tones on the record is one thing, but I think the effect of a live show, uh, when you when you finally get to see them live, is is another. That's another level of uh, yeah. engagement. And yeah, when I finally saw that, I think it was it made me rethink about what I was doing. I mean, I was wanting to play uh, electric sort of country guitar too, because that was obviously the most important staple that I had in my life at the time. But I always had this love of the rock thing and the sustaining sort of notes things that you you had to work on over years and years and years of playing. And Ian already had it down as a young bloke in Chisel and you would have almost been the youngest fella in the band, wouldn't you, really? Um yeah, second youngest. Yeah. <laughs> Barnes is the youngest. Yeah, but you, you know, he yeah. had he already had this incredible worked out thing 
well before his time. It takes a long time to actually get that thing sussed out. So to be able to sit with someone that's, you know, you've obviously admired for a long time too, but also to make a bit of music, there's nowhere to hide Tiana behind acoustic guitars. It's, it's an incredible mm. for, a thing to sit down and do. Mm, absolutely. It's so intimate. And I guess for you in reversing, and I know you've spoken about Troy being a bit of a inspiration for yourself as well. When was the first time you actually got to catch this gentleman in live in action for the first time? Do you remember? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I put him on the spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or when, okay, uh, let's rephrase then. Was there a moment that you just remember seeing him and just feeling and seeing something incredibly special on stage? It's, 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 more, about, it's more about just, yeah, no, the hearing, hearing the voice. It's really mm. the voice. You know? mm. It's a, the deep, rich timber yeah. Troy's got. And, and, and that, oh, I'd straight away I thought, you know, you know oh, yeah, Troy Cassadale, whatever, all those country guys. And then I heard Troy sing, hang on, that guy's. That guy's got a ton of blues in there. Yeah, mm. that, uh, I like it. Yeah. Mm. And you're obviously not a stranger to jumping up on stage with a band yourself in the past and then obviously you did re-emerge as a solo artist back in the day as well. Mm. In terms of how you approach like these sort of shows as more of a solo or dare I say co-headline in this scenario, how different is that to kind of preparing for let's say a cold chisel show back in the day? Is it night and day or is it just muscle memory at this point for you? Oh, it's, it's a little, little bit... Muscle memory, Troy and I were discussing the first because we both sort of, you know, we probably learnt on, on acoustics and then we got our first electric and it was goodbye acoustic, <laughs> don't need yeah. you anymore. Um, I'm going to be a rock, you know, I'm going to rock out from turn amplifiers up. But then, then, you know, the whole, then the whole solo acoustic thing kind of came back into fashion or came into fashion, whatever, you know, from maybe beginning with the whole unplugged Nirvana thing and all that sort of, then suddenly there was a whole world out there of, of go, going out and doing gigs solo. And uh, if you weren't used to it, man, the first time you did one, it was an absolute shock. It was like, I, I it's, it's weird, I'm playing this gig knowing that I'm solo, but okay, let's started playing it, I was I literally look around for the band. Yeah. yeah. Even though I knew I solo. It was like, exactly. Shit. And <laughs> it's so true because it's almost like relearning your your craft again mm. because you've, you've been used to having the, the cushion that's a band. And it, t- it took me when I did a whole uh, acoustic tour many, many years ago where I just dragged like an old Vinnie's lounge out on stage and sit and play for people by yourself. And it's pretty disarming. Because it's just you, the only thing between you and a crowd is the acoustic guitar. Mm. Yeah. And that's the only filter you've got, you know. So I had to wait for three or four shows for the songs to settle down long enough for me to realise I wasn't in a band I'm anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. And then it all settles down and changes mm. again. And, and it's, it's a beautiful moment when you can actually just engage a crowd with an acoustic guitar because, you know, you don't, they don't have to listen. The, the lyrics are different. You, you appreciate the lyrics a lot more. Yeah, well, it forces you to actually go to to go back and because you know, oh, hang on, I've got to figure out what new way to do this. Even though I've been doing this song for twenty years, yeah. I've never done it on my own, and it's it's good. You rediscover the song, and I I found sort of new meaning in the lyrics because mm. I had to sort of really think about how I'm going to tell the story, and you know. Yeah, and I guess on that note too, like COVID has really made for a lot of people, they've had to really rethink how they do shows and also rethink the capacities. I mean, for a lot of artists who are used to playing more you know, larger venues and booking all that kind of thing, they've had to kind of have that more intimate time. Do you guys tend to find yourselves enjoying one over the other these days, considering you've had the whole gamut of little pub shows and quite large stadium shows and all that? Is there a preference at this point with having that connection in the smaller space or do you still love that rush of jumping out and having that sea of faces in front of you? Uh, 
whatever. I don't know, having the cake and eat it too. There's so, there's something really special about about both. There's something if you're on your own and you've got a good sized crowd there, you kind of feel, I don't know feel like this is I did this. This is me. I I own this. I can take this wherever I like. You know, uh, you might get to a line. In, in a song one night and say think this needs to be screamed to the world yep the next night you might get to the same line and go you know what no I reckon it needs to be whispered and you can do that with a band you can't do that you mm. can't can't be yeah there's no dynamic yeah you're right yeah mm. and and I, I felt the same when we opened up um, for Chiseled Out at Tamworth where you fellas were just on the end of the Blood Moon tour uh, it was an incredible thing to watch what Ian does on the electric and does his thing and it fits in so beautifully and they've all got these beautiful strengths, all the band, and then you see him on acoustic guitar and it's like, okay, he's got the reins of the horse here and the best thing is, you know, you can guide it left or right and um, and I think being an acoustic actor is, is really important for that mm. and there's this engagement with your audience. They come up to you sometimes and maybe say something as you're packing the car and they go, oh, I didn't know that song was about such and such mm. until they heard you acoustic. You know, that's then that's it's a great reaction to have. I used to I used to get, jeez, um, I knew you sang, but I didn't know you could sing. <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> that was like, compliment. That's only about thirty five years after I've been. Just, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hey, it's better late than never, isn't it? Yeah. We get there eventually. <laughs> and I want to come back to that song meeting. Song meaning, I should say, in a little bit, but just in regards to this upcoming tour, given the quite extensive back catalogue from both your respective careers, how the hell did you decide on a set list for this upcoming tour? Yeah, well, that's something we've we've got to work out yet. Uh, yeah, that's know, yet to be discussed. Mm. I mean, but yeah, you'll have obvious songs that you feel. Yeah, we we'll both be a have part. an obvious shortlist, and then we're going to, you know, have have a bit of fun. Hopefully, with the I, rest sort of. I think the peripheral ones are going to be more fun to work out because we, we've got ones that people will expect that you really can't get out of town alive without playing. Mm. But there's a few things that I'd love to float to Ian as these songs we might play during some of the VIP uh, ticket holder things where we get a chance to just do some covers or play something really interesting or old from our back catalogue. And yeah. um, I think it'll be a, a great test for our memories too. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and, yep. you know, wake you up and keep you alive. Yeah. <laughs> and for you both, you've, as we've touched on, you've played so many shows. I'm not going to sit here and list how many you have because we don't have that amount of time. But how do you guys kind of amp yourselves up for these live shows? Like do you have a certain ritual or something tried and true that kind of really helps you get that energy, get focused and get out on stage or do you just wing it? Is it just that easy for you both these days? Well, no, luckily, I mean, uh, I I think, you know, uh, for me there's still a certain amount of nerves. You know, I I like to think that as gradually, by the time if if I make 90, I I might actually walk on – Finally, be able to get out to walk, be able to get to walk on stage without being nervous. But if you don't have that, you, you got to have a certain amount, a healthy amount of that, because it it gets you. You got to get up. At, you got to be starting, ready to start at a certain energy level and a certain commitment level. And, and it probably, it, probably means you respect the gig, too. You know, respect the role you're playing. Yeah. I, you get that fear of, I don't know. You don't want to let people down. You don't want to let people down. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a, yeah. You sort of know that. Yeah, you know, that that old adage. You sort of, yeah. you know, one mistake, then you got to do, do, do ten good deeds to sort of rectify it. You know, so mm. you, you just you want every show to, well, you know, I'm getting to the stage where, you know, the, that clock's ticking, and you, you need you need every show to count. You don't you don't want to yeah. have a bad show and then try and have to be catch up. You know? exactly. yeah. yeah. Well, I guess no song, no song or tour or show is ever the same in that respect too in a way and it's kind of nice because it hopefully keeps you guys a bit more interested but also keeps the fans 
happy and on their toes as well. So, I reckon, you know, this, this, there'll be a fair bit of spontaneity in this show. And that's one thing that you, you have to have. Like you'll, if you did the same show in one town as you did in the, in the next, it would be just like you wouldn't even get nerves after a while. It'd be like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. The set list hasn't changed or whatever, mm. but I, I think the spontaneity is what keeps it fresh and it also makes it better for the audience to, to watch. Yeah, well, it'll catch out any reviewers too who might look at the set list from the previous night and not show up and try to review it, so it's a good way to know if people are there. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, I've just outed myself. No. <laughs> Stick around. Coming up after the break, Troy and Ian chat creating during COVID, essential backstage items, and Troy quote-unquote throwing Ian under the bus with a necessary swear word on their track south – which was featured on Troy's hard-hitting album, The World Today. That coming up and more. An Elmo doll that wants to kill its owner. A kids' TV show where the main character has a giant penis. Poop-flavoured ice cream. A meme that destroyed someone's life. These are just a few of the hot-button issues we tackle here on That Sucks. A podcast for your ears. I'm Troy Neverman. And I'm Dan Cribb. And if you don't listen to That Sucks on the Handshake Agency Network, then you suck. Join us each fortnight as we unpack some of the biggest fails across pop culture and beyond, joined by the occasional special guest. Head over to thepodcasts.com.au to check out That Sucks Now. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever good podcasts are sold. I know, Troy, obviously, like, you did release your new album quite recently that did kind of come out of quite an extensive year for, obviously, a lot of us, but there was a lot going on, and a beautiful addition to that album was an incredible final collaboration with you guys with South and we got to finally see the music video and the clip this year I read that it kind of was a bit of a jam session like did you actually plan to sit down and have a song come out of it or was it just a jam session that went very very right and this song Look, eventuated when when Ian was coming through Brisbane I always wanted to try and catch him and say oh, I'd love to be able to get together and write a song because when you've known someone long enough you know it's time to sit down and have a strum and see what falls out of the sky you know and um when he was on his way over Ian said, oh, I might have to go back and get my acoustic. And I said, look, keep driving because where you're coming, there's going to be quite a few guitars. But I had an electric set up for him. Ooh. And I thought, well, if Ian's coming to my house, I want to set up a little electric world where he sits so that we can look at each other and play off each other, just like we will on, on stage. And and it was a good afternoon, Ian, eh, to be able to sit and have a play. Um, so nice to hear your own gear sound like Ian Moss mm-hmm. instead of it sounding like crummy old me. <laughs> and, and it was just, you know, it, it really is good. I thought I plugged him into some of my favourite pedals, but he still made it sound like himself. And that's where the song starts. And, I, I you know, I wanted to write something that honoured our blue collar heritage as well, you know, because mm. a lot of people that have been hardworking people in our past. And that's where the song started pretty much with just a riff, you know. Mm. And how much of it? did Ian inject into it? I know there's a swear word kicking around in that, which is not quite common, yeah, I believe. Me. In fact, that was the only word I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, if you were one word. <laughs> yeah, we got into a bit of trouble, but I threw him under the bus. I said, you can sing that. <laughs> but but in the context of what we are talking about, well, the world is on your shoulders, you know, when you're in these situations, especially if you're working class as well. And when you hear it in conversation, it makes perfect sense. And um, so it, it was totally – it needed to be in there. Yeah. And I think that when, you, when your song comes together like that – and then we got a chance – when we, when we recorded it, it was really good to be able to actually sit in the same room and, and go work off each other the way we did. Mm, absolutely. And I guess on that note too, like as we touched on earlier with the whole song meaning kind of thing, obviously there's a lot of authenticity in both of what you write and in this particular song itself, but everyone's always obviously looking into and unpacking lyrics once the song goes out into the world. How much of your stuff – 
for both of you is autobiographical. Like, is this a case of bringing all the reality into it? And is it every time you're bringing a lot of yourselves into it to kind of have, whether it's catharsis or other, or do you kind of get a mixture of outside influences and not so much looking in and being introspective? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I still don't consider myself that prolific a writer, but it, it's... Um it's more, more, just more influences, inspiration. Not, yeah, not, not particularly autobiographical at all. It, it's, it's funny where, where it works. I mean, sometimes you'll have a real flow of songs. Other times, I've got nothing. Mm. And I sort of went into COVID with nothing. I had, a, I had, a, I had a black heart from losing my father, and he took his own life. You know. It was one of, the, one of the shittiest times of my life, sorry to say that. But it really affected me a lot more than I thought it would because I sort of had a lot of questions. And um, I just sort of went into, into COVID and this was an unload. I didn't mean to write this record either like the way I did. Mm. But if there's one thing it did do was it got me a place to let it out. Mm. And uh, my Indigenous family at home uh, was, was a great comfort for me because I went home and I spent a lot of time talking with my older uncles that was good for me, but then I got home and had to face my family and um, and get my way out of it. And the only way out of it was uh, wait until my wife goes to work and she was a radio announcer, so she's, she's obviously it was more essential. And then I go downstairs and shut the door and take my dog down there and try and write songs mm-hmm. and try and talk about the grief. But I, I was able to at least get rid of a bit of it. And if people have listened to this record, and I know they're a bit scared by it because it's it's a lot probably um, a lot more cranky than other ones I've made. But I did have a little bit of anger going into this record mm. and um, I wanted to play more guitar and just sit down and be the musician in the band again instead of being in the producing and stuff. i got a producer. My wife said, you need a producer, you know, to take your mind off it so you can be back at being a muso again. Mm. And it was good advice, you know, because we weren't, weren't on good terms. We were hardly talking. And um, that was about the only sense we sort of made mm. and then it all went better from there. Yeah. And... With that whole thing, I mean, you say there's a lot of anger and I feel like everyone was probably needing a way to kind of work through a lot of what they were experiencing themselves and I guess the one good thing about art is that we kind of can have a connection even if it has nothing to do with our own personal lives. Like I was chatting with a band where they were saying, should we release an album? We don't know because it was a pop album and it's like sometimes you need (laughs) – but I think you need the balance as well. Or me personally, I do, but – yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. People can still latch onto it and connect with it and that's also what will happen, I feel like, when you guys jump up on stage is having this connection and a way to kind of work through whatever the hell we all went through in the I, last year. I reckon, Ian, you, you're doing the most touring out of both of us right now. Have you noticed the difference with people showing that appreciation for a live show again? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no that, and they've come up not happy to uh, – they're more than happy to come up and tell you and I, I've sort of found – I didn't realise it, but I've, I'm starting to actually even talk a lot more and communicate and be, be on a personal level, which mm. I've always been too, you know, after all these years, a bit nervous about doing yeah. it. And that, that's uh, – with the recent tour doing – been doing um, – People have been coming up and saying, you know, we we loved always loved your singing and guitar playing. But what's been fantastic is the way you've you've relaxed and, and you let you've let us in and you, yeah. you're talking to us. And I sort of kind of half didn't even realise I was doing it. So yeah. maybe yeah, maybe that's so maybe it goes both ways too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I took gigs for granted before mm-hmm. COVID. I sort of thought, ah, we'll be right. Yeah, yeah. No, this this will be gone in a minute. Yeah, and then 
we cruise into 2020 and everything starts falling over like dominoes and then you've got no gigs and then you finally get back and you go, I'm not going to take another one of these for granted again. Yeah. Because, you know, you just you want to give more, mm. much as you try to all the time when you're playing. I, I think I was sort of slackening off a little bit mm. at, at times. Mm. But yeah. I thought I was just yeah, going through the motions a bit. Yeah. 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 Well, and in reverse too, I mean, how many people are like, oh, I can go any time, I'll just, just skip it and go next time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting and now – People are actually able to come and do it. So, yeah, bring it on, I say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know obviously you guys are both, I mean, more so recently, we've finally been able to realise the vocal supremacy of Ian Moss as well. Um, huh? Troy, yeah, what? well, I feel um, like you're both levelling up. I We're know. reaching it. Absolutely. I mean, Troy's not on board. <laughs> this, this has always been a pleasure to, to watch when Ian played guitar, but then. When I first heard him sing at South Grafton X Services Club, mm. South Grafton X Services Club, <laughs> um, I, we, we all just went, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's going on there too, mm-hmm. as well as the guitar playing. Mm. So, you know, it, it really is one of those, uh, you don't hear triple threat used very often, but when you write great songs or you play great guitar mm. and then you open your mouth and sing like that, it's, it's a rarity. Yeah. It really is. Well, for both of you then, whether it's from the guitar or the vocalist world, because you have all these strings to your bows, you're both overachievers, and that's very, very <laughs> obvious. Um, is there a key influence or an artist that really kick-started both your musical journeys? Like, was there someone that really made you suddenly realise this is what I want to do with my life? Uh, I, I, one particular person, I don't know. It's just there's too many, too many influences from mm. what you used to hear on the radio as a kid. I mean, you know... That, I think even John D. Loudermilk and, and Johnny Horton sort of kicked me off and even right back then I thought, this is what I want to do. Mm, yeah. It's funny, like, there's like, always a handful of people that you used to watch mm. and there was there was obviously like Slim Dusty when he first came out, I always thought to myself, wow, he's singing really authentically about this country and that's one thing that sucked me into that. Mm. And then I, I found Merle Haggard and then I found Ray Charles and I went on this road and the little road just kept branching off every now and then and then finding its way somewhere else. And mm. by the time we got to Chisel and got to the things that were really authentically Australian, that's when we realised we actually had something to talk about here in Australia too mm. as musicians. And um, I think with, with Don and with Ian and everyone's writing that contributed to that band, um, it really gave us a voice. Mm. Whereas before there, there weren't a lot of rock bands around that were doing that. Yeah, and, and when you read their stories and where they came through to get themselves to where they are, it's a fascinating ride. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess too, given that it is a bit of a guitar fest coming up too, what guitars will we be seeing you gentlemen sporting on stage? Are we going to see a nice little mixture? No, not really. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm going to bring one, possibly two, because mm. I've just had a little guitar case made up for two guitars to take away. Mm. But there's an old one that I want to bring away. The, the, the Mead Road guitar is a Takamini, and it's been that for a long, long time. Mm. But um, there's a little old Martin that I was given uh, in 2019. I was on tour, and a fellow came to the rehearsal, and he said, I want to give you a guitar. It's been in our family it's since 1955. Mm. And he said, but no one plays now. And I went... What is it? He said, it's an old Martin. And I said, look, for starters, it's probably worth some money, so I don't think I can take it. But show me anyway. I'm interested to see it. And he pulled it out of the car. It had no strings. It had a scrunched up letter to Martin, the company in America, in the sound hole. And it was this little 1942 0018. And I went, nah, sorry. He said, you know what? My wife has gotten me to drive down here 
20 k's to give this to you, it'll break her heart if you say no. All right. Oh, okay, okay, then. Let me Twist think about that. <laughs> Let me think about that for just okay. a second. Okay, I'll take it back. Anyway, I took it home and gave it to a guitar builder. And when I was sitting and writing in the middle of COVID, this little thing was my best friend. It's the best guitar I've ever owned. Mm. And I don't endorse any guitars, really. I mean, I play Takaminis because they work and I love them. But this Martin, I've never owned a Martin like it. And it had a voice. Every time you strummed it, it felt like a friend talking to you. Mm. Is that stupid? Mm. Makes no, not sense. at all. It just had, a, it's yeah. had its own voice. Yeah. And every time I sit with it in front of the phone and record it to send to my son or something, saying, have a listen to this whole thing this morning, um, it just it, songs fell out of it mm. in COVID. I had a friend of ours, um, Glenn Hanna, uh, that was a good mate of mine, took his own life uh, just before we, in 2019, and uh, I wrote a song for him on it. It was one of the first songs that fell out of it, you know. I wrote it for his wife, actually, because mm. she was the one that was left behind. And um, so I, I, it, it really helped me through having that old thing there. I don't know why. It came at the right time and I may handed it over. And I've never been sentimental about many things, mm. especially instruments, because they're working things. But this little thing has got its voice. And it may poke out for a little play every now and then. I just never know. I might bring it... Because I'm sure Ian would like to meet it. Yes. <laughs> have to arrange. Maybe it can come to the VIP meet We'll do a little meet and greet, and greet I think. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sign off ahead of time. <laughs> and what about yourself, sir? Will we be seeing anything special on stage? Uh, look, I'm, I'm still working on that. I want to sort of maybe do something. To, uh, yeah, currently I I play uh, maintenance, you know, doing, doing support in the Aussie company. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd like to, to you know, bring something fresh yep. to Troy and my tour uh so i'm, I'm looking into a couple of things mm. um stay stay tuned yes Watch and from what i've heard with these other other guitars they are amazing yes. so it's been it's been great to see us both you know reaching into the the bag of tricks to say what can we bring yeah. what can we make that's special about uh the show yeah, and definitely. give people a unique experience i mean it's not very often that you can get people from these genres that meet and just do something like this so mm. so for for both of us it'll be a great experience i reckon yeah and an amazing thing too is you are taking it not just to the usual suspects or the capital cities you're taking it to a lot of amazing regional locations obviously going a bit closer to home for both of you how will it feel to play some of these songs that have absolutely shaped and made your career very close to home and out of the capital cities well i'm looking forward to alice springs mm. i think we're playing the araluan i think araluan theater yeah yeah for, for, I, that'll, yeah. that'll be a highlight for me and we're also yeah. playing grafton in the middle of the jacarina festival Oh. Yeah, yeah, at the Saraton. At the Saraton Nataris backwards. Yeah, Nataris, that's right. <laughs> and if, if Don Walker could ever make a gig, this is the one he should come down that's and have one. a look at yeah. because he'd go home and it's it's sort of like amazing to think, even when Ian first mentioned Alice Springs in in, uh, in one of his songs of Matchbook, I sort of, I'd been through there and it always reminds me of how much you should want to get back mm. when you hear town names like that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, to being able to see that in action yeah. and, and up through the Territory. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's... Yeah. Um, where's the list? <laughs> yes. Yeah, where is that read list? Out the, read out the gig list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to some really special places yeah. too. So like you say, when you play uh, that beautiful theatre in Toowoomba and, and every time you go to the Empire, it was about to be torn down. Like mm. most theatres in Australia, they were about to knock it over and some local people with some money just said, no, we have to restore this place. When you play these theatres, um, it makes you appreciate old things. Mm. And to still have some new sounds jumping around there, it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess given that this is going to be a bit of a celebration of both of your careers to a certain extent, if we had to kind of put a 
pin into something specific what is it that you both love most about what you're doing what keeps driving you to pursue this incredible journey you both continue to be on I don't know still still wanting to reach out and make people feel good Uh, still wanting to you know work with great fellow musicians and 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 both of us work together to 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 produce something for the people Mm. and plus we're all I think Troy's like me you never stop trying to get better as a singer as a player and you want to keep doing that and, and trying to you know give that to people. Yeah. This is this is definitely something. Selfishly, I think I'm going to come out a better guitar player at the <laughs> other end. But I think personally, I'd like to make sure that people that come along feel like they've seen something pretty unique. Mm. And I, I know that every time we play together, it, it, it's always feeling like it's just a perfect fit. Mm. And um, but yeah, like I say, I, I think I'm going to learn out of this as well. I think that's the best part of me too. Being able to collaborate with with friends like this on on a professional level too, it's different to sitting backstage and having a yarn. Yeah. This is a chance to actually get together and properly collaborate. You know, yeah, hundred percent. Well, to close us out today, to use a very cliched question, given we are on the Green Room podcast for both of you, you're about to jump on the road. What's an essential item you need to have backstage in your green room to ensure you get through the show in one piece? <laughs> I didn't talk to you about the belly dancers, did I? <laughs> so we're on a list. We'll start a list. I'll write it down and we'll get it sent through to all the venues. Yeah. <laughs> or will he be the belly dancer? Uh, well, you know. No, not yeah. Will he be the belly dancer? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I think of belly at the moment. <laughs> Join the club. No, uh, go on, Ian. What do you reckon? Uh, sorry, you got me. You caught me, on, caught me off guard there. I, um, if I'm drinking, which goes up and down sometimes... Nice um, bottle of Shiraz for me. Yeah, well, I'll probably a little, little nip of vodka before I go in there mm. to take the nerves away. Yeah, People don't realise that you do take the nerves away still. And they're there. Yeah, that's true. They're there. <laughs> and anything like that just to sort of help you up. And then um, then off you go. Yeah. Off you go. Do your best. I'm very happy about that. I'm Ukrainian, so vodka's, you know, in my blood basically. So yeah. this is a great answer. I've got a bit in my blood too. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's not genetic though. No, no, no. <laughs> it was in, not inherited. <laughs> Well, we might have some afterwards then. But <laughs> thank you so much, Ian and Troy, for joining me on The Green Room. This Together Alone tour is going to be absolutely phenomenal and such a joy for your fans and obviously for both of you as well. So good times ahead. Thanks, Tiana. Thanks, Tiana. Thanks, Zeke. Two of the absolute Aussie greats right there. A giant thank you to Troy Casadaly and Ian Moss for taking the time to pop past The Green Room and share some incredible tales from their illustrious careers. It was probably one of my last in-person interviews for a while, so I'll take that as a win, having both of them with me. With the recent COVID-19 developments around the country, here's hoping Troy National Together Alone Tour will still forge ahead as planned. Tickets are currently on sale right now, with the shows planned to kick off in October. So fingers crossed this will definitely be something extra special to look forward to after the absolute shit show everyone's been plunged back into lately. If, like me, you're still stuck at home for the foreseeable future, why not inject some podcasts into your day to break up the Netflix binges? I was recently very bereft after finishing off Mare of Easttown on Binge, so podcasts have definitely come back on my radar to fill that gap in my evenings. You can catch all previous Green Room episodes and a bunch of other epic series living over at thepodcast.com.au. And did you know not only can you listen to the Green Room episodes, you can actually watch them as well. For all you YouTube fans out there, the podcast also has its own channel kicking about, so you can also check out the Green Room videos if you're in need of some extra video goodness in your world. If you are feeling particularly generous today, please feel free to chuck us a subscribe or a like or maybe even a review. 
I'll still love you even if you don't, but it is always awesome to hear from you all out there, especially at the moment while I record this chat in my wardrobe by myself. It's a very good look. Sending hugs to everyone out there who's stranded at home and can't be with loved ones right now. Please stay safe and as a special sneak peek into what you can expect next week, let's just say the cold chisel theme from today may carry over into next week's Green Room episode. I'll catch you then. from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.